Happy holidays, everybody. On the Rail Splitter this week, we're going to talk about Lincoln's greatest speech for the second edition of the Rail Splitter Book Club. Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up to everybody listening to us on the radio? <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to book club number two, the first edition thereof on the Rail Splitter. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. This is the last show we will post before. Uh, the Christmas holidays are upon us, uh, so for whatever you're celebrating this year, we hope you're having a nice time with your family. Nick and I work at a public high school, so we're wrapping up our semester. It's been crazy and fun and all that kind of stuff, so um, it's a very interesting time of year in public schools, as I'm sure many of you can probably relate in whatever profession you all are in. Um, so any, at any rate, I hope the holiday season finds you well. Um, any, um, usually we start the show with Lincoln related news. I don't know, Mary or Nick, if anything jumped out at you or if you wanted to say anything to the listeners, um, here on at the beginning of the show. Hi. <laughs> Hi people. I hope you're all doing well. Happy Ho- holidays to all our listeners. Hopefully your Christmas shopping is done. Hopefully the rail splitter merchandise has been purchased. Um, if not. Please check our social media, uh, Twitter for the link. Yes, you could always uh, purchase some Rail Splitter merch. It probably won't get here by Christmas, but you could always print off a nice little Rail Splitter logo and let them know that it is en route. Um, so, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can go to teespring.com and search for the Rail Splitter podcast and you should be able to find any merchandise from the Rail Splitter. And hopefully you'll be opening it from some of your gifts from some of your loved ones this holiday season uh news has been kind of quiet on the abraham lincoln front uh for the most part it has not been quiet on the political front um so sometimes i think lincoln related news may not necessarily grab as many headlines when you've got cabinet shakeups and and, you know government shutdowns and the holidays um and whatever else um so hopefully you were able to stick with lincoln a little bit maybe even buy some lincoln gifts uh, for some different folks um and if you're looking for something lincoln we did have a holiday gift ideas episode a couple weeks ago so if you're listening to this right after we send it out i still think amazon prime shipping will probably still hook you up so if you're a last minute shopper i suppose that would be your your, your only bet um, so this week we are doing the first installment of the second edition of the Rail Splitter Book Club, in which we talk about Lincoln's Greatest Speech, which is a book by Ronald C. White. Um, so we read chapters one through four for this, and if you have not yet finished chapters one through four, you can keep listening. Uh, there'll be some spoilers, I'm sure, but 
Um, feel free to listen along. Like many book clubs, you can still participate if you have not read. Um, you can always listen to this later if you haven't read. That would work just fine as well. Um, but we will talk about those first four chapters. We'll do another installment in a few weeks in which we'll talk about in the next few chapters. And then, of course, we'll talk about the last chapters and then a summation of the book as a whole um, in a number of weeks after that. So um, this is not necessarily meant to be a review of the book or at least of the first four chapters. But, of course, there will be some elements of that kind of woven into our interpretation and our reactions of the book. So let's just start. Mary, Nick, what did you think of Lincoln's Greatest Speech, the book, not necessarily the speech, um, by Ronald C. White? So far, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's interesting how he's broken it down. Like the chapters are, ba- well, I think except for the first and the last chapter, like all the um, the chapters in between that are their titles are taken right from the paragraphs of the of the second inaugural and I thought that was really interesting and I like how he's analyzing the speech um and you also learn a little bit about the history of Abraham Lincoln as you go along I will say that I think this is a book maybe that you would enjoy more if um you've already read a little bit about Abraham Lincoln although he does you know, go back and recall some of the history. I think it helps to have a bit of a base knowledge um, of Lincoln prior to reading this, like, you know, reading this book. Yeah, yep. I agree with I that would assessment. Agree. Mm-hmm. I also agree. Um, yeah, I read my four chapters today, so I was well prepared, not because of procrastinating. I just want to get that out of there. Um, actually it was probably that. Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, I did fall asleep, take a little bit of a half hour nap in between. So I don't know if that's reflection on the book or more of me just being tired. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, I am joining it too. Definitely break it down. It's a lot of like break it down. The, I don't know. It feels a lot like English class. So if you like English class and breaking stuff down mm-hmm. and analyzing, the meaning behind words, then this is your thing. If you don't like English class, then you might want to forego this. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd maybe push back slightly on that. I think when I was kind of walking into this book or first kind of thinking about reading it, I was like, man, is this going to be like a 300-page rhetorical analysis of the speech? And there definitely is... Uh, quite a, there are quite a lot of elements of that rhetorical analysis uh, to your point, Nick, about it being English class. But I thought in the first four chapters he did a really nice job of kind of weaving in um, history with that rhetoric analysis, rhetorical analysis. So he does talk quite a lot about the language. He talks a lot about the word choice, uh, the um, uh, different, uh, you know, ethos and pathos and the different types of rhetorical devices that he uses, his strategy with that, compares that really in detail to other me- other speeches that Lincoln has given. Uh, he um, talks about Lincoln's process in writing, but I think there's also quite a lot of history in there where, um, to me, the most interesting piece of the history part was when he um, outlined the day. Um, how the planning went, um, really went into detail about there were speeches, which I, I knew, but I didn't really 
ever kind of pay attention to, that there were speeches beforehand inside the Capitol building that were not, they were kind of like quasi-public, I guess. They weren't like open or available to everyone, but, you know, they were published and talked about and the press was there. Um, but some dignitaries, including Andrew Johnson, uh, gave a speech there, um, which I thought was fascinating, a pretty fascinating account, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, he also talks about who was in attendance, how the planning went, how many people were there, the types of folks who were there, um, the fact that you had um, a very interesting collection of people, including John Wilkes Booth, among others. Um, so I, I actually kind of liked how he weaved in the history with the rhetorical analysis because that you know when you're when you're reading a book that is by title about a speech um i was kind of wondering like is this just going to be and, it, and it's a short speech 703 words um it's one of the shortest inaugurals in history um i think if i remember correctly it was the shortest other than i think like both washington and jefferson had given shorter ones, but they were like before inaugural addresses were a th were like a, a real thing, and like Washington just acknowledged that, <laughs> almost like you know, kind of like a quasi thank you to the voters and just kind of an acknowledgement that he, yes, indeed, I am, um, you know, here for a second term, I suppose. Um, but I thought I, I liked how he weaved it in. I didn't feel that it was overly. English classy, but they're definitely a hundred percent are elements of that. You know, I, I definitely felt that. And I do think Nick, um, you know, you do need to kind of know that going in. So, uh, real quick, I do want to get you uh, both of your thoughts on that point. Um, but just to give a little bit of a background, um, this was published in 2002. Um, uh, so it's not the newest, um, of Ronald White's works and he's kind of emerged since then, I think as, um, much more at least well known of a historian and writer. Um, he has only written four books, The Eloquent President, Lincoln's Greatest Speech, A. Lincoln, and American Ulysses. Um, so after this book, I'll have read uh, three quarters of his... Oh, I'm sorry, that, those are his notable works. Excuse me. Sorry, Ronald C. White. I know you've written more than that. Uh, those are listed as his notable works, and now, now I'm outing myself as clearly reading off his Wikipedia page. Um, but... Uh, Lincoln's Greatest speech, speech was written in 2002. Um, it, it did do well. It was a New York Times bestseller, and it was called uh, named by the New York Times as a notable book for 2002. Um, so it was well-received. And, of course, the estimable David Herbert Donald, um, who is very well-known in Lincoln circles, he wrote um, an award-winning Lincoln biography himself and was the teacher of Michael Burlingame. Um, called it uh, both learned and accessible, which is actually what we're really looking for with um, Real Splitter uh, book club selections. So since he published um, Lincoln's Greatest Speech, um, he also then published The Eloquent President, A Portrait of Lincoln Through His Words, which is similar, and then he did the full biography, A. Lincoln, uh, which I thought was quite good. And then I also just finished reading his Ulysses S. Grant, biography, uh, American Ulysses. So uh, I'll turn over to you all for some more kind of general thoughts maybe on uh, the first four chapters. I did enjoy, um, like you did, the weaving of the history into it. And I have to say in the first chapter, 
um, white paints a really vivid picture of what Washington was like on the day of the inaugural. You know, he goes right down to describing the weather when it mm -hmm. rained, the sun broke through, and then all of a sudden it rained again. I really enjoyed that. But he also um, doesn't let the reader forget that there there is still a civil war going on with the mentioning of the fact that there was Union hospitals in D.C. and that the visitors would have seen them. And he compares this back to um, one of the other things I enjoy or like found interesting was comparing it back to the first inaugural. There was so many more soldiers present at the second inaugural, and it might have been shocking for some of the visitors because they were, you know, they had limbs amputated. And this was, again, you know, it's the, the grim reality of the war. And then the other thing that I enjoyed about... Um, just the first part too was just that he talks about the history of the Capitol dome and its construction. I thought that was a neat little thing that he, he threw in there. So not only are you learning more about Lincoln, but you're learning a little bit more about the history of Washington in this. And I thought that was really cool too. Yeah. Chapter one is by far the best chapter. Um, you know, get the book, read that, and then you can put it down. Um, that's a little harsh. No, I like that. Like, he's definitely painting this picture of, you know, I like the point that you're bringing up that the war is definitely still going on, but there's signs of hope that the end is coming near. And I think he does a nice job of kind of explaining D.C. in that sense, that D.C. was this muddy mess, but you look to the skyline, you can see the completed dome, capital dome, you know, kind of like parallels of each other. Uh, there, there is a brighter future ahead. And I think a lot of Lincoln's speech is kind of, you know, set forth towards that, too. I, you know, going back to the speech and everything, I don't know. I, I just don't. I find talking about the speech, I think it would have been more interesting and fun. And if you had something to play off of, as opposed to one person's interpretation. Like if we did like where we broke down each line, the three of us, you did this in like a documentary form. Then the book. I mean... I don't hate it. It's just, I think at the end of the day, unless something changes drastically in this book, it's just going to be like, eh, interesting. I got his interpretation of it. He threw a couple, you know, cool facts in there. You know, George Washington's second speech was super short. Um, you know, Lincoln didn't get, you know, didn't use I or personal pronouns that much in there, you know, kind of gave, uh, Stuff like that. I think if he had it, to, if he played off more of something, like he took this and compared it to, I don't know, Andrew Jackson's second inaugural dress, found some way to play it off, I think it would be a more dynamic book as opposed to just this historical scholar breaking down his thoughts on this speech, um, which is interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's terrible. It's just I found the first chapter by far to be the most intriguing part. Um, because it's talking about the speeches and poor Hannibal Hamlin. When he's talking about his speech, it's like nobody gives two shits. It keeps talking about all these people coming and everybody's like, oh, who's coming in now? And poor Hamlin's up there like, yeah, he ditched me. I could have been freaking president. He doesn't even know that yet. Poor guy. Um, and then the guy who replaces him, you know, freaking drunk, just talking nonsense. And then, yeah, that had to be a brutal day for him. I feel for him. I and again, like that that sequence or whatever of the book was fascinating to me. 
um, especially because just the surreal feeling that you get when when White explains how Hamlin's giving a speech and they literally stop and like chastise. I mean, it's a fairly sexist way to do it, but they like chastise the ladies for carrying on and giggling or something. Uh, but the way that the White kind of painted that picture, I thought was just delightful because he's talking about how they they stop his speech and they request that the ladies stop their chatter and giggling, and then everybody just carried on as if you know, no one said anything while he's still trying to stumble through his speech. Um, and then of course you have Johnson come in and he does such a good job of explaining, um, really in pretty fascinating detail. Johnson being drunk. Um, how he woke up and was nervous, so had a, a glass of whiskey and ended up having like three or four of them um, and then really stumbling through a speech. And um, I thought that was a really, um, to, uh, to, to David Donald's point of it being learned and accessible, the way he weaved in newspaper accounts with his narrative there to kind of support that Johnson was you know, a disaster in that speech. Um, I thought it was very, very well said, very well written. I really enjoyed that piece of the book. Um, I did find it interesting that he went into such detail about Johnson being drunk just because I just finished American Ulysses, and he very, very noticeably does not address Grant's drinking. Now, for better or for worse, you know, if it's historical record versus conjecture, whatever, whatever his reasons are, um, that book really almost never goes into his drinking or even really addresses his kind of, I don't want to say legacy, but how he's kind of, how history has kind of become to know him as possibly an alcoholic. He, you know, he, he very much did not address that. And I was actually okay with that. Because I think it's it may be tempting to be like I think a lot of folks want to turn to, you know, that alcoholism and see is are there is there addiction what you know what's the story with that was he drunk at Shiloh, um, when at least in White's book it wasn't about that so it was interesting to me to compare those two works uh, by by White um, and and again I think they're both good A Lincoln was was definitely a book also not to get too far off the book we're talking about uh, but that was one that I read fairly into my return to Lincoln um, as an adult um, I, I had re read Donald's book and then A Lincoln was the second one I read and it really really got me kind of lit the fire again so um, but yeah I, 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 I did like how they they went through that original speech, and I had never really thought about Hamlin or Johnson's speech. Again, I had heard, you know, of course, and read about the fact that he was drunk that day, uh, but never um, really knew much about it. But I also really enjoyed the the um, contemporary accounts of him being drunk and being embarrassing, and um, I think it does a really good job of painting a picture of what you know, what was going to happen with him as president and how those relationships were going to be strained. I um, like how he ends it with like Lincoln, like tell somebody like, don't let him speak outside. Yes. <laughs> and that kind of felt like it's like when you got like buddies at a bar, don't let him drive home. Right. <laughs> He's right. an idiot right, right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Keep him away from so-and-so make sure that he, yeah. Yeah. Like that was, I, I, I enjoyed that too. Um, especially with, um, Lincoln being fairly passive about, you know, he left the choice up to the convention, didn't really put his two cents in at all, um, and didn't know Johnson that well. 
when he gives his first speech, Lincoln immediately is like, nope, <laughs> this <laughs> not happened. And of course, that might have been just because he was inebriated. I don't know. But um, yeah, again, I think that that was just, you know, that historically accurate kind of funny anecdotes, but that served a purpose. So like, I, I enjoy reading those. And I think he did that very tastefully, where you kind of can get a chuckle out of it. Um, while at the same time, it's it's real. It's what happened. It's it fits in the book. It fits in the the, the narrative that he's providing. So I thought that was quite strong um, and enjoyed it. Enjoyed it immensely. So as far as the rhetorical analysis piece goes, I liked it. Um, I think when you go into this book, you got to realize, you know, hopefully it wasn't that you were assigned homework by your favorite podcast hosts. Um, as much as like, I'd like to read a book. So like if I picked this book up and was buying it, I, I, I accept the fact that like I'm signing up for some rhetorical analysis, you know, he's going to break down a speech they're going to talk about things like sentence structure and word choice and, you know, uh, voice and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I was totally fine with that. Uh, and I think that it has to be there. If you're going to write a book about a speech, you got to break it down you got to break down individual sentences, individual words, even, um, and and that was probably a challenge I, for for him as a writer. How do you how do I write this and make it interesting when essentially um, it's a very very deep and involved assessment or grading of speech? Um, and I thought the one thing that made it really come alive for me was when he compared when he talked about the process. Specifically, when he talked about the process for the first inaugural and how he had enlisted Seward's help. And when he compared side by side what Seward had suggested and what Lincoln had said, wrote and then said, uh, I just, I had seen that before and I had read about it before, but in the context of this book talking about Lincoln's speech specifically, I found that to be fascinating. I did too. I love that part. And I love that story of you know, how Seward helps him out with the first inaugural and just like the changes that he made. But then second inaugural, it's, it's completely different. And I think what White might be getting across with that is just how much Lincoln had even grown and the confidence he had in himself after, you know, from his first inaugural to his second inaugural. Yeah, and I think, I think he just knew what to say at that time. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just know what to say. Uh, when you given a speech, and I think that's kind of what that shows too. Um, yeah, you know, going back and forth. May, I think maybe I'm just salty that I lost this competition, and then I am viewing it as homework. <laughs> I was gonna say, so, are you kind of throwing shade my way there, Nick? No, actually, no. I love it. I'm just doing this all to throw shade, Mary. <laughs> so that way, no, 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 not at all. I know. Um, no, but back to that. I did enjoy. I. I do like how he kind of goes about into the process of how the two speeches were written. So he's comparing, playing some stuff off more there. So I, I enjoy that. I like that he gets across the point that, you know, Lincoln's using not these huge complex words. He's using pretty basic language. Um, but it's really how he structures that language that makes it so beautiful. And that's something I know we've talked about on the podcast a lot. Um, and how he was able to appeal to so many people um, was his know use of basic language you know I, I think a lot of times it says a lot about a speaker or writer when they're able to condense stuff down to a shorter form as opposed to the longer form so 
um, I, I appreciated that part, and I did enjoy that part. So, um, yeah, I mean, there were definitely some good elements. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree with the other stuff you guys said on it as well. The other part that I like that he raised in, it was actually in the second chapter, is he discusses the problem of analysis of Lincoln's speeches. Like, sometimes you just focus in on one paragraph or sentence, and you forget about the rest of the speech. And he references, you know, so many people know the with malice toward none and, you know, then the rest of the speech isn't there. And he said that the problem with analysis that focuses on one or two passages in the speech is that the framework uh, of the whole is ignored. And I thought this was a really great point he raised. And throughout the, the book, he's, you know, calling back to Lincoln's other speeches, I think also, you know, just to show like, we can't just look at one part of this speech or even this speech as a whole on its own, but we've got to look back, you know, to what he has said. And I think that's also one of the other points he's trying to get across in this book is how much Lincoln had grown as a speaker. I like the point that you're bringing up of looking at the whole speech. I know we've mentioned that on the show too, that there's been a lot of cherry picking, especially recently here in the last few years of historical events kind of like where he's getting that speech, just taking one quote out of it doesn't necessarily give you the whole meaning of it. Um, you know, taking out of context a lot of times, especially with our social media platforms where it's all about the shorter version. I think that happens a ton. I mean, we could do a whole episode on, like, misquotes of Lincoln, I think. Mm -hmm. That's a great episode idea. You should write that down. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's... Um, this speech in particular, I mean, we end every show with a one one little phrase you know or two little phrases taken out of out of this speech um i don't think they're necessarily misplaced but i do really like that point of taking the speech as a whole and looking at it from start to finish especially because it's so short um and that was another thing that white did in these first four chapters is talk about the difference between um his you know the speech that kind of put him on the map locally at the Young Men's Lyceum, or I think that's what it's called in Springfield, um, and then of course the Cooper Union speech, um, as being like these really long form um, kind of events, right? Um, and then the two speeches that he's most known for um, are 272 words and 703 words, being the Gettysburg Address and the Second Inaugural. Um, and I think that, you know, at the time he was probably. Um, criticized for those speeches being so short and you know because this was like a, a fairly significant medium of the day it's not like they can just tune in for the you know tune in for the radio coverage or tv coverage and then move on to something else so um yeah i, I liked that comparison of his development as a speaker um and, and and really showing how his simple language was it was that but it was deliberately that um i think white does a really good job of really painting a picture of how efficient he was as a communicator and um, how that doesn't mean anything negative. It doesn't mean that he had a limited vocabulary or that he didn't have a great capacity for speech or a, or a command of the language. Um, I think it's the opposite. He, he had a significant amount of language and, had, and was a very dynamic speaker. Um, especially the part where White really points out the number of one-syllable words that Lincoln uses in a short space being, like, that's almost difficult to do. Like, he, you know, you had to consciously 
determined that the pacing of this part of the speech was going to be quick and kind of that, you know, kind of staccato type speaking. Um, and, and, I, and I really enjoyed how he broke that down and, and really showed that, um, you know, he had purpose with that. And I think, you know, as, as people who, you know, I don't do it as much anymore, but working with students and their writing, um, to get to a point where that, you know, it's not just about conveying ideas, it's how you do it and, you know, in what ways. So, um, I think that the white does a nice job of stressing that point. You know, he, he mentions that it's 25 sentences in four, in four paragraphs. Um, and then he quickly points out that of the 703 words, 505 are one syllable so basically five out of every seven words um, is one syllable does not mean anything about him being simple or you know it's not like he's saying like me save union in unions two syllables so you know so i couldn't even do it i couldn't even do it in caveman speak <laughs> but um you know i think what he's saying is that it was emphatic and strong um so you know, and I personally, I liked that, that level of analysis, um, not only to point that out, but to really talk about it and also to talk about how he spoke to say, um, as far as we know from, from accounts of the speech that he spoke slowly and deliberately, um, and really kind of drove the points home. Um, so with those short words delivered slowly, I think that's a very unique speech style that would have been fascinating to hear. Well, then speaking of the the way that he like would have um, spoken the address, um, one part that really stood out in my mind was at the end of chapter three when he discusses how did Lincoln say that the end of that last or the, the paragraph that chapter three discusses and the last words are and the war came. And he says that he would have spoken it almost mournfully and Instantly, I had like Daniel Day-Lewis's voice in my head. Saying, okay, let's just admit everybody's just hearing this in Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis's voice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought like that part really, um, it stuck. It it has stuck with me because I thought like, yeah, that's probably how he said it. Was very, you know, it wouldn't have been like forcefully. It would have just been kind of the soft and the war came mournfully. Um, in a very mournful voice. Yeah, I specifically liked how he broke down that whole sequence about, um, and I don't have it in front of me, but how you know one one side wanted war, one side accepted war for the sake of saving the union, and war came. Um, he, like the level of focus on that, like on its face, if you said like, okay, you're going to read about 25 pages talking about that chunk of the speech that like very short part um i found it to be fascinating because um especially when he was talking about using the passive voice which is so funny because i just remember as a student it being drilled into my head like to never use passive voice it means you don't you know it shows that you don't really have a grasp on what you're talking about um i drilled it into students for years too um and then to to recognize that much of the speech was written in a passive voice and why he did it um especially and the war came i thought that was really good analysis him talking about how the subject of that sentence was war and not rebels or um you know however however they wanted to to word it 
um, insurgents, whatever, whatever, you know, term you wanted to use, he made the subject war almost as if it were inevitable. Um, so I think he kind of put a little bit of a cause there, a little bit of a purpose of the war, took a little bit of a blame away, which is, you know, why he probably used passive voice. But I liked uh, reading White's analysis and thoughts of it. And I did like how he didn't make any secret or, you know, didn't disguise it all when he was saying, like, this is my what I think. Um, so, like, when he kind of ventured a little bit away from history and a little bit more into, like, the analysis that wasn't quite historic analysis, it wasn't, like, using contemporary sources. It was more him looking at the language and making inferences about it. He was very clear about that in his writing, saying, like, this is what I think. No one knows what he actually said. Here's how I think he said it. Because um, White's established himself. He knows what he's talking about. He knows the subject very well. Um, but I, I did appreciate how he did venture off a little bit. And that's why I like books like this that are kind of in the middle of the road as far as, like, the highbrow history and then, like, the accessible history. Right. So like if it was purely like a dissertation type book or something he was going to submit to a journal, he probably wouldn't be able to get away with that because everything's got to be found in the primary sources. And it's got, you know, we have no way to know how he said it. So you can't. um, I like it when they do that Mm -hmm. well. And he did and he did it well. Sometimes they do it and it's like, well, you're you may be straying a little bit far or, you know, I don't know if that is really based in anything and i felt his was and i really liked it and i i, I think lincoln said and then the war came <laughs> i feel like that's Good how God, it y'all <laughs> <laughs> just for record i really don't think that sorry man <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. um i was just gonna add to that like just the uh, White mentions the inclusive language that Lincoln uses, like he says all or both for North or South, like he doesn't distinguish between the two. And another part of chapter three that stuck out to me was that White says he is at his most partisan in this early moment of the speech, which I think was probably probably deliberate and just to get his audience that early to know that this is partisan, that we're not going to lay blame. I'm not going to say, you know, the rebels or the Confederate States of America. And he says that the strongest words that he used were insurgent agents. And I think that ties in nicely to chapter four, where he was talking about, you know, uh, I think it was chapter four, but talk about like how a speaker needs to know their audience. Mm -hmm. And then Lincoln definitely knew who he was speaking to, that it just wasn't, you know, people who backed the war 100%. Um, you know, he lays out that there was a lot of ex-Confederates in D.C. by this point. Um, so definitely Lincoln knew he was speaking to both the North and the South. And we've talked about the master politician that he is, and he's always weighing that, and he's always taking that in consideration, his audience, when he's doing stuff like this. Um, so I think that fed nicely into his Chapter 4 analysis. I, if I'm, Am I correct on that? That all happened in Chapter 4 then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they're about chapter four was was the, that one largely about slavery as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was the one where um, he makes mention that the third paragraph of the second inaugural has three hundred and ninety four of the seven hundred and three words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think it's important to point out that he was most partisan at the beginning 
because when you're going to end a speech with malice toward none, you should probably take, you know, put that as far away in the speech as you can from, um, the, the partisanship. And of course he had, it was a, it was an inauguration after which he had just won an election. There has to be some partisan feel toward it, to it. Um, but yeah, it's, I, you know, I think that, um, this level of analysis really helps, um, especially when, you know, inaugurations, you know, you get your ask not, you know, ask not what your country can do for you and the only thing we have to fear. And, you know, there's the, there's the one-liners that get pulled out of inaugurals, but, um, they're, there's their whole speeches. And, you know, I think it's important to look at them as, as a whole, um, not to say that those comments, those quotes aren't meaningful. They certainly are. Um, but to, you know, the, the amount of content that he puts in about slavery, um, I think I really liked White's analysis of that. And I think it's important to note and it, I think helps to inform the malice toward none line, because if you look at the malice toward none with charity for all, he is specifically talking, I believe, about, and, and we'll get to this in later editions of this book club because we haven't gotten to that part of the speech yet in White's book. Um, but he, you know, I think that generally is accepted that he, what he's talking about is we're not going to punish the South any more than we need to. You know, we're not, we're no longer enemies. We're going to be brothers. All those kinds of things. Um, so the fact that he very emphatically addresses slavery um, as evil as the cause of the war, as the purpose of the war, is important to note because he's not saying, let's welcome them back, we're not going to have any malice toward you, like he's already called them out for enslavement. And and then he kind of brings it back. Um, so that's why I'm really excited for where we're at in the book because, you know, we're getting t- toward that crescendo where um, he very um, succinctly and... Um, appropriately kind of puts the war in context at the end which is just such a nice and i'm really hopeful that white kind of provides more comparison to the gettysburg address because that that kind of encapsulates the war during and i think this is much more after even though i know it's not technically Mm -hmm. after but i mean there's no doubt at all that this speech is written as as if the war is essentially concluding like as a you know it's a month out and everybody knows that the south is on their last leg so that's one thing i guess if we were going to do a book club question what what are you most looking forward to as we progress through the book i'm looking forward to seeing how um he maybe compares the that line to the gettysburg address and then also to the rest of the speech i'm looking forward to when it's over no i'm just kidding i actually have turned a corner a little bit talking about it i think you know i was a little salty that my book lost and you know i was cramming it in today so i think talking about it you know i take a little bit different look i'm still not as upbeat as you two but but i do have i'm not as negative as i was at the start of this so you guys have this conversation has made me reflect a little bit and i'm mad enough and uh to just stay i've changed a little (laughs) and it's absolutely yeah. Kind of like Except a little for, Lincoln group therapy session yeah. for you. But I am convinced he said, and then the war came. <laughs> uh, one other thing I will say about this book, uh, if you have not read it, it's rare to find a short work on Lincoln that's going to give you this level, I think, of 
um, insight, you know, and part of it's because it's one speech, but like when I picked up this book, I was kind of excited, well, a little bit excited. So I'm like, all right, you, I'm going to have to read four chapters of this to prepare for the show. And it didn't take very long. Um, especially when, um, you know, his A. Lincoln and his American Ulysses are hefty, hefty books for good reason. They're full biographies, but this is a rare case of a shorter accessible book that's not getting into like minutiae. I don't, I mean, this speech is significant enough. I wouldn't call it, um, a minor event by any stretch. Um, but it's, it's, it's quick and it's, I felt it was a pretty easy read. Um, and I, you know, I, I know I kind of said it before, but I'm just really impressed with his ability to write at an academic level. that's also acceptable. Um, his, his rhetorical analysis doesn't feel like this super, um, heady kind of, look at a speech but at the same time as someone who's read quite a lot on Lincoln I'm like you know this is this is real this is a real deal I'm really getting stuff out of something out of this and you know anytime you find yourself thinking about it the next day or later on or you know sometimes I you know how it is when you're reading books sometimes when you're like two pages later and you realize you're not really paying attention because you're thinking about something you read two or three pages before, <laughs> you know, like, kind of like, uh, it's, which is a weird phenomenon. And I'd love to talk to a brain scientist, like my eyes are reading these words, but why am I thinking about something that he had written before? And then, you know, you kind of got to back up a little bit. Uh, but I found myself doing that. And I found myself thinking about it later and kind of trying to form my own opinion on maybe why Lincoln chose the words that he did and why he chose them that he did. So um, in that regard, I thought it was very, very worthwhile to read, and um, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I found myself doing the same thing, and I've done that with all of, um, I've read American Ulysses and A. Lincoln as well, and I would find myself like starting to, my mind would start like, oh, wait, and I'd have to go back and read something again, or I would start thinking about it. Um, and I have to say the one thing that White does really well is he does analyze speeches of Lincoln's very well. Um, and then just in his A. Lincoln too, like his analysis of the Lincoln-Douglas debates are very well done. So um, I kind of, the bar was kind of set for me going into this book and I was thinking like, okay, is this gonna be as good as what I read in A. Lincoln? And to me, the analysis is, it's, it's great. And as you said, Jeremy, it's accessible. I was reading and then that last chapter, and he talks about how it's the longest section. I was like, oh, man, I hope I get this done before the show starts. How long is this section? Because I was on my Kindle, so I don't know exactly how long it was. And I was like, oh, man, I can't think this way. I got to think about the words, and I'll just get there. And I got there, and I had time to spare. And we started earlier in the plan, too. So um, not quite the same thoughts you guys had distracting you. But uh, I don't know why I shared that. I felt like everybody needed to know that. <laughs> so um, so we'd love to hear your thoughts on the first four chapters. Um, you know, I think that this uh, conversation definitely went into enough detail to give you a pretty good idea. But if you haven't read it, I think you can actually still get quite a lot out of it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, the author that we've selected, Ronald C. White. You've heard uh, both Mary and I talk quite a lot about A. Lincoln and American Ulysses. We recommend them both. Um, I did not know this until um, I just was looking him up while we were recording, but on February 24th um, of 2019, so this coming February, uh, Ronald White is delivering a lecture 
uh, about three tenths of a mile from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I oh, live, shit. yeah. Oh, wow. He li- I live across the street uh, from our local museum here in Rockford, Illinois. And on February 24th, from two o'clock to three o'clock, there will be a lecture from Ronald C. White, and tickets are ten dollars. So, uh, anyone in Rail Splitter Nation who is attending that, please let us know. Uh, and we'll, we, we'll sit together. Maybe we'll have lunch or whatever and beforehand. Um, but it's it would be a great reason to come to Rockford. Um, uh, we, yeah, I've seen Michael Berlingame speech speak at the same venue. Uh, we used to have a Civil War symposium yeah. every year, uh, and that kind of went away. I'm not sure why, um, but I'm wondering if this is something that's kind of to appease folks like like me who were upset when when I saw <laughs> that there wasn't going to be another Civil War symposium last year. Um, but yeah, on February 24th, uh, at the Midway Village Museum, uh, right off Guilford Road in Rockford for $10, you can see Ronald C. White, uh, speak. So, um, yeah, let us know. Um, obviously, uh, we can't promise anything, but we'll try to reach out to the folks at Midway Village and, uh, see if we can put something together for the show, but that's very premature and probably not appropriate to mention on the air, but whatever. <laughs> um, we'll try to we'll try to reach out to them at the very least. Um, we'll probably maybe even record a little bit from different folks who are there and do some other stuff. Um, if Nick, if you're able to go, I'm almost certain to go. Um, like I say, it's on a Saturday afternoon in February, so <laughs> there's not not nearly uh, as much stuff going on probably. So, um, but yeah. yeah, ten bucks that's that's a deal. That's wow. That and I've heard. Um, I know a couple people who have seen him speak before, and apparently he is he's quite good uh, to go listen to. Yeah. So um, so here here are right now he has two speaking events on his website, uh, Rockford, Illinois. And Oxford, at Oxford University in England, which on, on an academic level, they're about the same. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yep. Uh, I think I think after he goes to both places, hands down, he will be Rock Vegas was definitely the best. You know, Rockford, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, has mm-hmm. been, you know, he's here he walking around town here. So I yep. think he went to Tiger Tales. So. He, oh wait, no, that was Tavern on Clark. My bad. Yeah. This, okay. Now we're getting super Rockford. So, you know, the <laughs> sliver of our audience that is familiar with this. But yes, Francis Ford Coppola. That's the big news in town. For those of you who are in like Middle America or like, you know, Canada. towns or Canada. Yeah, but like towns of a hundred fifty thousand or so. Like it's interesting what makes news. But that that's a big deal for us. Um, but yeah, so apparently in in at least the Ronald C. White world, we're on the same plane as Oxford. Um, but yeah, he is presenting on October 17th uh, at the Rothermere American Institute at Oxford University. Um, but before that, he'll be at Midway Village uh, in Rockford, Illinois. So that's associated with Rockford University. Um, and again, it's a one-hour speech. So you know, if you're in, you know, if you're around town and you're uh, wanting to chill with some rail splitters, let us know. Um, like I said, I live very, very, very close to there. Um, I, that's kind of kind of our little go-to area to, to hang out all the time. Other Ronald C. White news, uh, which he may be talking about at that lecture, who knows, uh, his next two books are The Diary of Abraham Lincoln, which isn't a thing. He didn't actually write a diary, but what um, what the premise of this work is is he is taking written notes and 
um, a bunch of different handwritten little uh, scribbles here and there and trying to piece them together as if you could kind of create a diary. Very interesting concept. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but that one I believe is coming out in 2020. And he announced his next biography, uh, which is about uh, our your hero and mine, perhaps, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, one of the mm -hmm. heroes of Gettysburg, a hero of the state of Maine for sure. Um, so that will be a really interesting biography. Um, I like kind of what we're doing here because Ronald C. White has been in that area where there's thousands and thousands of books written about Abraham Lincoln and hundreds written about Ulysses Grant. Um, and now this one coming out is where there may not really be, a, you know, now a current, you know, modern, real historical look at Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain in biography form. Uh, at least it's gained any any traction on a large scale. Uh, so this will very, very likely become the Chamberlain biography. Um, and his, his work is meticulously researched. One thing I gained from A. Lincoln is that he, he took Lincoln's writing um, and really provided a unique analysis of it. Um, and it is a unique biography in that regard. So um, definitely, definitely somebody who I think is very important in the Lincoln community. Um, as a biographer and now in the Civil War community as well with A. Lincoln, American Ulysses and the Chamberlain book. That's going to be a really good triumvirate of biographies um, for him to, to hold up. Um, so yeah, so um, hopefully we'll wrap up this book club uh, three-part series around the time that we'll um, hopefully see Ronald White in Rockford here uh, in February. R.C. Dubs will be hanging <laughs> in Rock Vegas. <laughs> Maybe we'll share uh, a beef roux shake with them, some beef roux cheese fries. This is a very Rockford thing again, so uh, beef roux, local food chain. What else we got? Cheap trick. Well, uh, possibly a soon-to-be Oscar-winning director in Bing Lu. Yeah, we, uh, are we, uh, there's a documentary from town shortlisted for the uh, Oscar for a documentary and the UN ambassador appointee is from our city as well so nice yeah well yeah <laughs> i guess no she was a she was a reporter on fox news for a long time and uh and then she was she's tabbed to be nikki haley's replacement so a lot of civic pride going on around here um and if you come you should come soon because they're going to tear down like the most beautiful building historically gorgeous building downtown rockford so enough all about our local history, but you know, fight to save the buildings where where you all live. Okay. Uh, the church? Are you talking about that church? It's not a church, but yeah, it's like it, it's um, chanceries. Oh. Yeah. Didn't they just? I thought I saw something today. Yeah, they that, put a stop that, order on it, but. It's, okay, that's yeah. all. Yeah. So, all right. Enough, enough local news. How's, how's uh, the great city of uh, Godfrey? Godrich. Godrich, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> Seward, Seward, whatever. Yeah, we have no snow here, which I'm perfectly what? fine with. It's a green Christmas. De I'm defying stereotypes for the whole country of Canada. I don't meet any of them. <laughs> and now, okay, and now neither to, does your weather. I have to admit I did go to Tim Hortons the other day to get a coffee, but when you work in a small town where there's nothing but Tim Hortons, that's what you have to, what you do. to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my town's 
connection to the Civil War would be that there was a few men from, well, not just the town, but the county that fought in it. But I've mentioned this a couple times on the show. Sherman visited my town. And, and it was, yeah, he was not marching to any seas or anything. It was a, you know, like a real visit. So, yeah, gave a speech, drove around the town square. I actually posted a photo on Instagram when it, it was a beautiful day on Sunday and went out for a walk. And the downtown of Goddard just laid out like an octagon. And it would have been that obviously that way when Sherman was here. But uh, the, a lot of the buildings would have been here when he was. So I thought, oh, well, I'll take a photo. And I um, posted on Instagram and said these a lot of these buildings would are original um, and would have been here in 1866 when Sherman visited. Because the town hasn't like facade, like the facades on the buildings haven't changed that much. Cool. So, uh, yeah, celebrate local history wherever you're from, and I, we see that from time to time on the uh, on the um, social media platforms that we have. I really like that when people say like, "Oh, I love where I'm from," and I think we had a couple of posts like that just this week, um, especially when it connects to Lincoln. You know, I think that um, I kind of like how every town has a Lincoln stayed here story, whether it's apocryphal or not. Um, I just think that's kind of cool. So, um, I'm definitely all about local history, and you know, definitely. I'm getting more and more involved at researching local history, and I think it's been been great and pretty fascinating work. Local history is cool, unless you're from Buffalo, because then you got to look back at that jackass Fillmore. There it is, Miller Fillmore reference. Everybody keeping score at home. Yep. Um, yeah. I wonder if like, do the Buffalo Bills? They should call it the, the Fillmore Curse. You know, like they lost those four Super Bowls in a row. Yeah. It's because he didn't properly mourn Lincoln, mm-hmm. so the Buffalo Bills will never win a Super Bowl. So they're yeah. cursed now. You heard yeah, it here I first. Like it. We're calling it the Fillmore Curse. It's the, yep, the Fillmore Curse. Yep, and Bills. you know, and we're not hating on Bills fans. You know, Nick and I are Cub fans. Curses are made to be broken. We had a curse for a long, long time, mm-hmm. um, and you know, as it looks, we'll probably be cursed again here as the rest of the baseball gets better and we seem to be staying the same i pick curse teams like the indians are shaping up to not be the same team they were last year yeah but their division is so terrible that they'll just walk through it but i know uh yeah your packers suck just wanted to mention it but i have i have the uh, cleveland browns that's my other team you know when you are actually saying that your other team and that's actually Cleveland Browns. Yeah. You're like, I'm bailing on, like, I'm a fair weather fan. I'm bailing on the Packers. I'm going to the Browns. Like, yeah. man, that's how bad the, pa- the Packers are. That yeah. bad, huh? But I will say this. I do like, Philbin's a nice guy. I like that guy. But anyway. Um, so, uh, sorry for the, usually we do like the banter before this, the episode. And, and today we're doing it afterwards. So thanks for bearing with us. Uh, definitely uh, engage with us on social media if you have any thoughts on chapters one through four of the book if you're thinking about going to that ronald c white event or if you have any connection to lincoln locally in your town i think that's always fun to talk about and some of you have been really good about sharing that stuff um so we do do a weekly feature on the show called of the people by the people where we talk about a social media post that we really liked from the week so mary or nick would either of you like to go first with your uh social media post of the people by the people Sure. I've got one. All right. You Who's go, going first? Okay. Um, mine comes from, we might have picked the same one, uh, Ben Holmes. On Gosh the, darn uh, it. I knew I should have <laughs> went first. <laughs> um, a real splitter mug, and he's like, he said, 
a cup of tea in my new favorite mug. <laughs> so thank you, Ben, for your support. Yeah, that's three for three. That was mine too. So. <laughs> and the second speech, he he's got um, a pile of four books. The second one uh, is Lincoln's greatest speech. Let's see, there you go. So he can. He's I, in I the book we- club. I say we just make it Ben Holmes, all yeah, three of us. Yeah, this was the first sweep. I, I should have probably this – this is why we should probably talk about these things beforehand. But, uh, yeah, uh, I was, that was mine too. So Cup of Tea, my new favorite mug, and he's got three, three books there. That was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, thanks for purchasing the mug. I have it. Hope you enjoyed your tea. Uh, keep posting stuff on the Facebook group, and we'll try to diversify our choices next week. Uh, we also have a weekly feature called This Week in Lincoln. Mary or Nick, do you have a submission for This Week in Lincoln this week? Okay, I will take care of it. Um, a colleague of mine sent a tweet my way that says, You've heard of Elf on a Shelf, but have you heard of Lincoln on a Ledge? There is a person who is doing this with their kids, apparently. I'm not sure. Uh, but the tweet that was uh, sent my way was from... Uh, of all groups, the Illinois Principals Association, of which I will admit I am not a member, even though I do that for a living. Um, so uh, the Illinois Principals Association decided they were going to do uh, Lincoln on a ledge. So they've got this Lincoln puppet. It's like one of those boxing puppets, you know, that like kind of do like the like the Notre Dame guy boxing. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's sitting on a, on a table and it just says, you've heard of Elf on a Shelf, but what about, uh, Little Lincoln on a Ledge, uh, in front of their mission statement, which apparently is to develop support and advocate for innovative educational leadership. I'm going to board with that. Uh, but yeah, Lincoln on a Ledge. So, uh, I, I have kids, we do not do Elf on a Shelf and I didn't think about Lincoln on a Ledge, but I suppose we could do. Lincoln on a ledge and just say that, you know, Abraham Lincoln is, is watching you to make sure that you're being good. Otherwise, we won't give you things. I don't know. But, yeah, Lincoln on a ledge. Uh, it's, shout it's a shout out to Vicki DeWitt and IPA. Oh, she worked for the Illinois Principals Association? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe that's Great where. lady. That's I've been down there from. at their headquarters. They're nice people, so. Ladies and, and gentlemen, I think we just talk about we need to write things down. Nick just said that the Illinois Principals are nice people. I like it. No, I said the Illinois Principal Association. Yeah, that's. I'm not okay. I should have said that. I shouldn't have disclosed that I'm not a member. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not referencing you at all. Oh, I, I'm quite aware. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is another inside joke, y'all. Like, I'm an administrator, Nick's a teacher, so you know, I respect him immensely, and of course, in return, I get what I can only hope for is respect. I, never mind. Um, I digress. Um, anyway, so yeah. Shout out to Illinois Principal Association, Little Lincoln on a Ledge. Great idea. Do it at your house. Um, make, you know, there's all kinds of uh, Elf on a Shelf memes of him, like, you know, pooping Hershey Kisses and, you know, throwing up jelly beans or whatever. I'm sure you could have all kinds of fun with Lincoln in that regard. Any parting thoughts about the book club um, or anything else? I apologize. We did not... Uh, chat beforehand to, to talk about what chapters we'll do for the next installment but i would say just you know read the next couple chapters we'll let you know when the next installment will be and which chapters to read shortly we also do have part two of our fredericksburg coverage coming up um 
It may be delayed a little bit just because of the holiday, holiday craziness, but we'll do the best we can to get that one out soon. I know Nick's doing some traveling um, and might have some extra stuff to report on Fredericksburg if we're lucky. So, um, so keep that fresh in your head. We will finish that conversation about Fredericksburg. Uh, as soon as we can, that will be the next episode that drops. But if you don't hear from us until then, have the best holiday season and new year. We wish all the best to you and your families. Take some time to think about Lincoln and to kind of embody that ideal that we talk about at the end of the show uh, for your loved ones. Uh, Nick or Mary, did you have any parting thoughts here? Happy holidays to all of our listeners, and thank you again for another great, I guess we can say, year in Real Splitter Podcast. Yep. Yes, thank you. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And I will be doing Lincoln on a Log. Although that could turn dirty. <laughs> real quick. I was just thinking it That's was probably Lincoln why they didn't do that one. So. It was Lincoln on a Ledge, wasn't it? It was Lincoln on a Ledge. I got no, I know, but I feel like Lincoln Logs, Lincoln on a Log, but then it could be Lincoln's Log. Like, there's no, nope, no, 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 not doing that. Okay, uh, I, but you I, could. I got, I, I got one to do with Snoop Dogg. Oh, I nice. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> um, so, or if you can find some of the rhymes with Lincoln, like Elf on a Shelf rhymes, uh, that's a little bit tougher. Um, Anyway, um, of course, so, Barry does some with Snoop Dogg now that it's legalized up there. Yeah, it was like Snoop on a stoop or something. Oh, Snoop on a stoop. I like that. <laughs> yeah. All right, I I have Lincoln on a shelf, like at least once. But anyway, once again, thank you everyone for listening and participating in the first installment of the second edition of our book club. Uh, we will have the second installment uh, probably in about three or four weeks. Um, so until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for making 2018 a great year for the Rail Splitter podcast. We hope to have one more episode before 2019, but in case we don't, we definitely want to wish you and yours the best as you transition from 18 to 19. Um, and best of luck with uh, the new year and thank you once again for listening and once again a reminder to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all and we'll see you very soon